there's a certain pride to be had when you sit atop a scoreboard. It helps if the scoreboard can't be hacked. Ball Cube and the promise of high-level play, tonight on the Commune Podcast. Hello and welcome back to yet another extravagant commune podcast on Ball Cube. With me tonight, I have a series of commune members, or maybe I should call them communers. At the sports desk, as always, we have yourself. How are you doing? Sporty. Glad to hear. Adrian uh, is here with the weather. How are things looking? Like pasta. Uh, okay. And, uh... Reporting live from the scene of Ball Cube, Shouty, how are things looking? Mm, Bally and Cubie. Oh, I suppose that's pretty, yeah, that's what I expected, really. Yeah, why'd you ask? <laughs> so, Adrian, what have you been playing? Uh, it's only been five days since the last podcast, so I actually haven't played anything. Uh, so, what have you been up to? Uh, just... Well, I just got through my last quiz for Humanities 20th Century, so that's good. All right. Which means I don't have to memorize bullshit names anymore for stuff I don't care about. Uh, Putting those knowledge skills to use? That's right. Yourself? What have you been playing? Monster Hunter 3 a lot, I guess. That's, you know, it's all right. You explained to me that the boss fights took... Like ten minutes. Oh man, that was just the early ones. Now they're up to like the twenty-five minute mark, and it's really absurd. Because when you lose, it's like great, all my supplies are gone. So now I have to go farm for supplies for another half hour before I can even fight the boss again. You don't just reload a save. The game automatically saves when you die. So I've picked up the habit of resetting it right before <laughs> the uh, death animation <laughs> plays. <laughs> Ah, this is really awesome. It's the kind of stuff I haven't had to do for a long time. <laughs> That's great. Ah, are yeah, the bosses fun? At least obnoxious. They are pretty fun. Uh, they've had the first, uh, and this is only the third one that I'm on. The first couple have had their own sort of rhythms. They're not too different from what you'd see in a standard action game boss fight, or at least in a more like classic action game boss fight where they um just you know have long tells on their attacks and you just got to learn what the spacing is how far they're going to move how many times they're going to do each attack in a row etc is there any sense of interplay or do they just kind of do their own thing and ignore what you do yeah so the main thing is that there is interplay but it's actually more technical interplay than usual in that uh, for instance, if you hit an enemy in the head, you have a chance of stunning it. But you have to be aiming at the head to do that. Um, or if you hit it in the feet, you might knock it over. Those area-specific attacks... Or actually, there are also you know ways that you can damage the bosses, which will then change their behavior. That type of area-specific attack is mostly what you get. And it's all very drawn out it's not like every time you hit the head you're going to get a reaction it's more like if you are good at doing that and using the right weapon and do it 30 times then the boss will become stunned i gotcha so realistically i think it's more set up for having multiple players each who are taking on one of those responsibilities so in a sense, it's almost a grindy interplay. Yeah, I see what you mean. And Shouty, what have you been playing? I beat Monster Tail. Oh, yeah, you were streaming that the other night. So uh, how did things wrap up? Do you like it? It was okay. Um, the ending didn't feel like much of a payout. <laughs> you mean the cutscene was lazy? Maybe. So I don't think we saw any bosses the other night. Uh, How were those in that game? Oh, the bosses are like a long-winded pattern exercises. Okay. Not in a bad way, but not in a good way. (laughs) In a satisfactory way? 
I feel like it gives you just enough time to, f- to figure out the boss's patterns as you go through it. So it's like you're not just cheesing through the boss and doing a damage race. You actually have to learn the boss to beat it. Does that get annoying if you ever die to the boss and have to start over? No, because if you follow the patterns, the boss can be defeated pretty quickly. Okay. So it does a, it does a good job of communicating to the player what it wants and what it yeah, does I not Yeah, I think want. so. Okay. All but right. the, the aesthetic of the game is like... Uh, it's very licensey feeling. I think milk toast was the word that came to mind. Like it looks like it should have a tie-in cartoon. Yeah. Oh, like a French anime, franime, which is like a portmanteau of France and anime, and it's like this new genre of French and uh, French and Japanese teams working together on animation, and that's kind of what it felt like. But it also had like the hints of Nickelodeon type feeling. I was hoping Franime was like anime that you know stars Fran Drescher as the nanny. <laughs> oh, if only. Oh god. It honestly kind of looked like uh, what if Wonder Boy three had a cartoon series? <laughs> I thought okay. it looked more like Wonder Boy four or well, Monster World four or whatever. Yeah, what that is. I guess three and four, I think, look a little different. Four looks more cartoony. Three is more like your generic 8-bit game style. Yeah, there's not too much style you can crank out of a Master System, is there? So that's a Sonic. Hmm. Yeah, I'd rather not associate with Sonic on Master System. Um, what about Game Gear? Okay, Triple Trouble, I'll give you. Okay. And Sonic Labyrinth. No! <laughs> God, your pained almost, response. We almost walked right into that. <laughs> Up first, let's talk about scoring in Ball Cube. When do you stop being a beginner and start being an expert? And when do you enter those vaunted halls of high level play? So this time I wanted to get at high-level play in Ball Cube. I think this is one of the few games we've played and may ever play where we are at risk of uh, being relatively good at the game. Uh, There's a score in Ball Cube, and not many people have played Ball Cube, so we can explore what it takes to get a high score, and I think that entails high-level play. So, Adrian, I wanted to ask what you consider to be high-level play. Well, I would really just say playing the game with as little mistakes as possible, you know, being really efficient in the game. Okay. And, and of course, in any score-based game, it would obviously be getting the highest score. Shadi, would you agree with that approach to high-level play? Yeah, I think that's a really nice isolated answer. Okay. Yourself? I guess I'd say high-level play is play in which the player is setting their own goals separate from the goals explicitly allocated by the game, or along the same lines, game play in which the player is at no risk of losing, or is no longer concerned with losing by the standard definition. Right, so you watch a speedrun of Mega Man X2, and they're not really ever going to die. They're concerned more about how slow they'll be. Right, and if they die, it's only because there was some trick that, that speeds up your game by dying. <laughs> right. Or <laughs> they screwed up on a trick. Right. I'd love them to die. I think these get at different kinds of high-level play. I think you could abstract that out, and we could recognize that there is some skill threshold for a game where below it, you're kind of a normal player, and above it, you're an expert player. And you might judge that on a game-by-game basis, where uh, in Mega Man X2, it's how quickly you play, versus uh, in Street Fighter 2, it's you know how far up the tournament bracket you make it. I mean, I think it's only natural that a competitive game is going to have a different sense of high level than a 
single-player game, if only because in a competitive game, the challenge is already non-specific or sort of fluid because it's determined by other players or the state of the community or whatever. Yeah. Like, maybe this is just because I'm looking at it from the perspective of what I just said about redefining goals. But when I think about multiplayer games, like, I never have a sense of what makes me good. I can only determine that I'm good by the fact that I'm winning. Yeah, I think you speak to the differences between high-level play in multiplayer and high-level play in single-player games. But they are still both about uh, examining a game and milking each and every rule for all it's worth. Yeah. Whether that's against a fluid challenge or a not a static challenge, but one that, you know, consists of a predictable computer program. Maybe, like, you could say a single-player game is sort of an internal challenge and a multiplayer game is an external challenge. Yeah. So, in specific... Shouty, could you tell me what high-level play is in Ball Cube? I think it's just trying to get the highest score as possible. How would you get a high score in Ball Cube? It seems that um, one of the main ways to increase your score is to chain the same color of blocks that you hit. That's really the main way. It really depends on how you hit the blocks. Right, to watch which blocks you hit so that you keep getting the successive 1,000-point bonuses. Mm-hmm. How much effort did you take in approaching high-level play in Ball Cube? I guess I could say I tried uh, to put some effort into um, looking for opportunities for matching boxes, boxes, matches, boxes. Um, but um, I think that's the only way I tried to achieve high-level play. It didn't have much impact on the way you played. It was more if you had an opportunity, you took it, but you would never go out of your way for it. Yeah. All right. Adrian, did you approach high-level play in Ball Cube? Yeah, I guess what I would say is that it's not really how frequently you can sustain the color bonuses because say say someone was able to maintain a color bonus a lot longer than I can in my playthrough but um, because I would avoid going for the ones near the bottom and instead try to make my way to the top, get rid of the ones near the top and work my way down so that you know I wouldn't lose. That person, sure, they might have had a color bonus longer than I am, but I got through the game longer, so if you die in stage 5 while I make it all the way to stage 8 or stage 11, chances are I'm probably going to have a higher score, so sometimes surviving or clearing out the bottom bricks is more important than getting the color bonus, so always going for the colors it's not that straightforward when it comes to high level play, because after all you are still trying to survive for as long as possible, because I doubt any of us are going to go through all 99 levels <laughs> on one credit, so... Well, I don't like One to night. brag. Um, yeah. Yourself, reflecting on what Adrian said, what do you think that says about your definition of a single-player, high-level play? Well, I think that Ball Cube is an instance where, yeah, you you have to get a sense of your own limitations before you can go about defining your own goals, and I think that that is key in establishing high-level play, the fact that the player can get a sense of what they can do before they reapply that. So, well, in Ball Cube, for instance, what I figured out is that I can pretty reliably get to stage seven or eight without running out of lives or having to put in another coin. So I figured at that point, well, I can keep going, I can you know, fight against that and try to make it farther in the game, see how far I can get. Or I can reapply to the first couple levels and see how much I can milk out of those first eight stages. So that's kind of how I went about it. And just, I guess the first thing I did was see what the highest score I could get on stage one was, because stage one is really short and simple. So... I pretty much figured out how to get the max score, how to chain the most possible blocks in it, and that helped me get better at that and helped me to further understand how to use like scrolling to maximize chains, and then I continued along those lines. What I get hung up on 
when you talk about your playthrough of stage one versus maybe stage nine, mm-hmm. earlier you had mentioned the idea that a, a speedrunner would no longer be concerned about losing out of the game. So would you say that you really only approach high-level play for those first eight levels? Yeah, because within reason, I know that I'm not going to beat Ball Cube. Like, <laughs> I could try to get to the very end on one credit, but I know, especially in the window of time that we're playing this game, and moreover in the window of time that I'm going to remain interested in this game, I'm not going to master that length. So I sort of find a point at which to draw a line so that I can get more out of the actual content I'm going to see because I'm going to have to play those eight levels over and over anyway. So, yeah, I mean, realistically, someone who was a ball cube pro would have to be able to beat all 99 levels before they uh, could really approach high-level play or would have any chance of competing on any fantasy scoreboards that don't exist. (laughs) So, Adrian, you had talked about a concern for survival and that you would would sometimes approach high-level play when it was convenient, but only when it was convenient, and that as soon as you were in danger, you would ditch it. Oh, no, I would say that that is part of high-level play, is knowing when to ditch the color bonus. I mean, sometimes it's unavoidable. You're going to have to lose the color bonus. Okay. See, that to me is regular-level play, because that's prioritizing survival, which is what the player is supposed to do. But they're both at the service of getting a high score. Yeah, but I guess that kind of goes back to what I was saying about a true high-level player would need to not be concerned about whether or not they were going to get to the end. I mean, you wouldn't be... It'd be good enough to not have that concern. Right, that's what I'm saying. I don't think any of us are high-level players of Ball Cube. (laughs) Except for level one. (laughs) Right, and I think that it's feasible to subdivide the game that way, and what I just said, like, that's the only way I'm going to get anything out of it in two weeks of playing. But I think when you're talking about, like, giving up score just to survive, that's just normally playing the game. That's just... No, 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 no. Let me be clear. I don't mean giving up score to survive because I'm in any fear of danger, but giving up score because, well, one, you can't maintain it anymore, and two, it's going to work more to my advantage if I give up color bonus and clear out the bottom blocks so that I can work on the color bonus again that's coming just up ahead using the map on the right because it's the high level play isn't as straightforward as always go for the color bonus because sometimes you actually just don't have one especially when they checkerboard them right there are those grid patterns where uh, chaining is simply infeasible high level play involves looking at the map and looking for potential chains yeah You just have to give it up. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, that you can't just assume that the chain's going to go on forever. Yeah, I said that last time. Here's my hack of ball cube. It's all red blocks. (laughs) If they did make it in such a way where there was a very clear, like, path to chain through the whole way, it would actually make the game a lot more straightforward. So probably to this game's benefit that it didn't do that. And that it's not so straightforward that there's an obvious optimal path for right. getting color bonuses it's that it has the, to switch up. It's the idea of the interesting choice. Yeah, I think a fully linear game doesn't have high level play. I mean, what's high level play of uh, like guitar hero? counterfeit monkey? Well, high score. You can get a high score in counterfeit monkey. Oh, I forgot that it has score. <laughs> but yeah, I see what you mean. So, Shouty, Adrian was talking about how certain elements of the game don't feed into getting a high score. So I was wondering if you could pick out the elements that work towards high-level play. Just the block bonus, the color bonus, power-ups that also do that, like the change power-up, will allow the player to fit into, into tighter spaces. Right, so that gives you more maneuverability and more... Uh, yeah, it gives, more opportunity for, gives you more opportunity for um, the color bonus. Yeah, since your ball has more options for moving around. Mm-hmm. Adrian, could you tell me how you got the scrolling to work in your favor for high-level play? You talked Scroll. about sometimes having trouble with blocks near the bottom 
and you wanted to clear out from the top, and so you couldn't always pursue a perfect chain. Yeah, it makes the it scrolls it more. So you know, the more you have on the bottom, the slower it scrolls, and then you're just going to be forced to deal with them anyways. So you get rid of them quicker. You can say, like in the first level, there's this big diamond full of red. Red. Yeah. So say that green one underneath the red Tetris piece. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You you want to get rid of that one, even if you had already knocked out like two of those red pieces there, just so you can scroll up that big red one faster and get the color bonus there. I mean, if the green block was still there, though, I mean the green Tetris piece a little bit below to the left of it, not the one below the red Tetris piece. Yeah. They would just get in your way. There was no way you would hit the left side of that without rebounding and hitting those green ones again. Because remember, at that point, your ball cube is scrolling a bit faster to where it's too sharp right. of it for it to go. So you timed your scrolling so that you would clear out whatever garbage might interrupt the chain, and then you would scroll on screen the appropriate color of blocks so that you could pursue a chain. Yeah, the more of them that you have on the screen, you know, the better. You can rely on hitting the ceiling, and that won't interrupt your color bonus, but if you accidentally scroll the blocks one tile too much... It's going to screw over your whole chain. Those gray blocks? Yeah. Everyone doesn't have gray blocks, but yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I know for level three, yeah, that's just a case where I clear out the ones closer to bottoms. Like, don't, I remember that was actually the first thing I tried to do is I tried to scroll up as many of the reds as I could, only to realize that that was pointless because I would need to clear out the bottom ones to, you know, keep myself from losing. And then you'd end up hitting the yellow ones uh, near it anyways. You can chain everything in level 3. All those diagonal blocks, it's hard, but you can. Yeah, you know what? Never mind. For, forget what I was saying here. Because you can hit two per trip up. So you hit the bottom two reds, then a bumper, then the next two reds, then a bumper, etc. Yeah. Wow, you really think, have practiced. It gets, it gets really tight eventually. Yourself, just give me a power-up that works against high-level play and a power-up that works towards high-level play. I'm not sure it's that simple. I think that you can use all of them to your advantage. I think that the biggest aspect of power-ups is choosing when you grab them. So that comes down to management of scrolling and management of chains. You might want to order your chains in a way that you will get a power-up at the right time. Like at the beginning of the game on uh that very first screen in the first level, you have a green chain available, a red chain available, and two yellow blocks that is not enough to chain, but it's going to break your chains. So you want to do those either first or in between your green and red chain. Mm -hmm. But I find it particularly useful to have the change power up, and that's a green block. So I've structured my play to do the green chain first while skipping those yellow blocks so that I can get the change power up because that makes it easier for me to do the chains and then get the yellow blocks before they get too far down that I won't be able to grab the points and then do red because red is going to chain into the next screen. I see. It's hard to escape that, well, it is impossible to escape that power-ups are inside colored blocks. Uh, and so naturally it's going to figure into uh, your chaining strategy when you decide to pick up a power-up. Right, and then an instance where it's not necessarily the chains that come into play is when I'm getting the option power-up at the end of stage two, I always make sure that that option block is the last one I hit because I want to have the option going into, or sorry, this is at the end of stage three, not the end of stage two. Yeah, it's about to. Yeah. Um, so I want the option going into stage four because stage four has a lot of gray blocks and it will last long enough that I can hit those. But if I get it too quickly, it might not. And there are instances option lasted that. forever until you died. No. Mm -hmm. And then similarly, there's an instance with arrow at the end of stage four where I always want to get that arrow block last because it's really helpful at the beginning of stage five. All right. Did anyone else want to offer any other thoughts on elements or rules that work towards or against high-level play? 
I just wanted to ask, how can you use a Vanish power-up towards high-level play? Uh, that actually, yeah, that's an example of one that I don't think is ever going to help you. Yeah. 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 I was about to, so I wanted to challenge you. The ghost cubes are one that are you can also use to help you, but of course, time it right, otherwise it's just going to hurt you. Yeah. In some ways, I can guess you can say the ball cube speed itself, because it does make going through a certain passage without hitting another block difficult. Mm-hmm. So if you want to keep up a color bonus, you need to hit a blue on the ceiling, but maneuver past a green like two blocks below it. It might actually be too little space in order to pull off that maneuver if it's going too fast. Yeah, definitely. Like once you get to level eight on, spaces get tight to the point where uh, speed starts going against high level play and it's difficult to maintain control of your cube. Yeah, and that's when the slow power up comes in handy, but it yeah. always makes such a, a noise that makes it sound like it's a bad thing <laughs> yeah, you got that. It's a power down. <laughs> I would say that, yeah, being at high speed makes high level play harder, but I'm not sure that speed is like an isolated element of the game like that, because speed is reactive in that being in tight spaces it makes you faster, so it's something that you have to account for in high level play, but it's actually that like, acceleration, therefore, is part of your strategy. Whereas, if we were talking about, like, Soldier Blade, and being really slow, you're never going to be able to beat X-Boss, then I think that's something that's extraneous to high-level play. Well, would you be comfortable saying that high speeds in Ball Cube work against high-level play? Not just speed in general? I don't know, but that's like saying different colored blocks work against it. Like, yes, it makes it harder to do chains, but it's also the game is meant to be hard. <laughs> I gotcha. Okay. What I mean is that certain maneuvers at high speeds you can't do anymore, and it's not a matter of input. I mean, it's not hard to hold the D to move the ball right as soon as it rebounds. The problem is that with the speed it's going, even if you try to move it at its at the soonest possible moment it can move, it won't move enough. So you have to factor that in when you're playing. That's all I'm saying. It's not working against it, it just means you need to change. Alright. Right. So Shouty, give me a game where you approached high level play. Aspire mm. to at least. Mm. <laughs> this is an embarrassing question. <laughs> to so to be fair, I don't think any of us are at risk of ever genuinely entering the realm of high level play. Oh, I've got one that I am. Oh no. I mean <laughs> I've got two that I am, actually. If you want a specific answer, I, I, I guess you consider a no-death run of Pikmin 3 sure. high-level play. I, I think that we would call that a high-level play. Yeah. It's like a one-credit clear or something like that. Wow. So how is how is high-level play in Pikmin 3 similar to high-level play in Ball Cube, or how is it different? Actually, it's kind of similar. I feel like... Um, it doesn't, it doesn't compare um, number of deaths on the leaderboards, but it definitely compares speed. So I feel like um, I feel like when uh, you can sacrifice Pikmin without actually losing, but trying to get the fastest possible results, you're rationing your resources in a way to be efficient, as efficient as possible. In so the same not... way that you would examine the level design in Ball Cube to be as efficient well, as possible with your chaining. Yeah. I think that's the case. I mean, efficient isn't really the word I want there, but yeah, I see what you mean. I mean, when you save scum, do you have no death? Uh, no death one in Pikmin three. I don't know. It doesn't carry itself over uh, like how Bomb Cube does. When it's all in one run. Well, Pikmin three is also significantly longer. Yeah, that too. So, Adrian, give me a game where you approached high level play. Oh, I want to hear yourselves. What? <laughs> Everybody has a turn. Oh, Cub, I just want to hear him first because I'm eager. <laughs> All right, yourself. <laughs> uh, Resident Evil 4. So what, oh. how is it different or similar to high-level play from Ball Cube? It's pretty significantly different in that in Resident Evil 4, there are a lot of strategic management elements. So a lot of it is choosing when I'm going to do something 
so that I'll have X gun and time for X fight or something like that. Wait, um, I forgot to ask. What is yeah. high level play in Resident Evil Four? Yeah. Uh, lots of stuff. Like. But what's like the overall goal? Well, that's the fun thing that I've done lots of them. I've done like uh, only handgun run. I've oh, done. So it's limiting yourself. No death run. I've never done only knife, but only knife is a thing that people do. No Ashley run. <laughs> I've uh, done like shoot Ashley run. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But yeah, it's uh, what it comes down to in a lot of cases is. Um, yeah, setting your own challenges. Although, let's see, what's a built-in sense of high-level play? I mean, I think it just comes down to not using much ammo. All right. And, um... and uh, maybe being able to buy things. Let's see, a way that it's similar to Ball Cube. There is a sense of... It's kind of hard to say without just very vaguely generalizing action elements, but... There's like a sense of precision and space management that comes into play in both games where, you know, in Ball Cube, I want to clear out all of one color block before I get all the next one. It's similar in some sense to in Resident Evil 4, I want to clear out all the shields before I switch to kicking guys or something like that. It's prioritizing actions for the most efficient playthrough. Yeah, and but, that's uh, kind of just generic action strategy. Well, that's fair. You might say they're different in the sense that Ball Cube is much more explicit when you have reached high-level play. You get your score up on the score table, whereas Resident Evil 4 does not give you a blue ribbon when you clear a handgun-only run. Yeah, I judge how well I'm doing by how many boxes of ammo I have in my inventory. Okay. Adrian, I'm afraid it's time for you. Oh, I thought he had two games. Oh, I'm really good at Mega Man X also. Yeah. <laughs> I think you did a you no damage run, right? Of... Yeah, I've done a perfect run of Mega Man X. Right. Yeah. Can you do a perfect Buster only one? No, I definitely didn't do Buster only. Okay. Uh, Sting Chameleon is very easy to abuse. Buster only? No, Charge Sting uh... Chameleon is very easy to abuse. Oh, oh I see. All right, Adrian. There's nothing okay. to hide behind. <laughs> uh, I think I gave away last time that Donkey Kong Jungle Beat was one that enticed me to oh, yeah. approach getting platinum medals on almost every stage. I'm sure there's one that I can't get, and I think it's the battle on Storm Hill, mm, for I whatever reason, because it's also the one with Ninja Kong, and he's my favorite Kong fight. I try. I want to try to do one for Metroid, but the thing about Metroid is that um, depending on what you prioritize. Like, you can try to do a no-damage run of Metroid or minimal power-ups, like get as few as the collectibles as you can, but you sacrifice a lot of speed doing so because obviously screw attack wrecks everything, so you're not going to finish it in under an hour to get the fastest time. So Metroid is an interesting one where high-level play, some of it is recognized by the game, like collection percentage and time, mm -hmm. but there are still a number of categories... I guess, canonized by the community, like uh, you might have the fastest time for an any percent run, which is just however many items you need to make it through the game the fastest, and the fastest time for a 100% run, which is both time and collection rate. Yeah. How would you compare Jungle Beat's high-level play to Ball Cube's high-level play? Similar or different? Similar in that they're both level-based. You can act, you can, And you can plan out, like, because Ball Cube... It's pretty fixed. I know it does the horizontal flip thing for whatever reason, where sometimes the mole is on the left or on the right side. Yeah. But aside from that, you can, much like with Jungle Beat, you can plan out a lot of what you're going to do in advance because levels are fixed. Your knowledge of level, obviously, that plays to your advantage in getting a high score. So, Enemy interplay in Jungle Beat, while more complicated than in Ball Cube, is still not all of that complicated so you can plan around elements being fairly static yeah you get a lot of air from the enemies too when you pound on them so that's another thing you consider when trying to get your platinum medals platinum crests whatever uh platinum aside from that 
Yeah, aside from that, yeah, it's planning and then, you know, it's just get the execution down. Okay. And, of course, that's its own, obviously, its own challenge. But much like trying to plan out, like, the fastest route through a Mega Man level, that in itself is kind of its own challenge because you can have a variety of ways of going about it. Like, do I stay stick with green here or... Well, actually, no, it's probably more doable with ball cube because you can you know, just use math to say to calculate if sticking with green or switching over to red really will give you a, a net overall greater score in the end. Right. It's um not feasible on the fly, but certainly oh, if you sat no. down and with the maps, I'm sure you could solve ball cube and then the only trouble would be execution. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's um something that I guess I was gonna add about Resident Evil four is that in both cases, Ball Cube and Resident Evil 4, there's a technical skill level that's required just to be able to approach high-level play, where in RE4, it's like you got to be able to do headshots. Um, if you don't, it's going to take you longer to kill enemies, and you're going to use a lot more ammo. And it really, like, I want to cry every time I'm watching a video of a playthrough and someone goes for knee shots because... It's Why? It's embarrassing. It's it's just go for Why a headshot. Go for, knee shots? go for a knee shot and a regenerator. Have fun with that. Knee shots uh, knock guys down, and you can do a suplex, or it's just useful to have a guy on his knees. But it's inferior to the headshot because a headshot sets up a kick, which has a chance at a critical instant kill, and also has a wide area of effect, whereas a suplex has a really tiny area of effect and basically is only a one enemy attack. So uh, remind- has a worse chance of, or it can only critical that enemy, whereas the kick can critical any enemy that it hits. The point being that you have to be able to consistently do headshots because if you suck at it, you're going to miss them and then you're going to make things worse. Uh, whereas in ball cube, to get some combos, you have to be able to navigate really tight spaces. Uh. Like, just in the instance of the first stage that I was using before, if you want to keep that green combo going, you're going to have, like, a tight spot where you have to get around the red blocks to do it. Yeah, I see what you mean. And you're not even going to go for that at first because you're not going to be able to do that maneuver. No. Martin Maurersich developed quite a cool breakout clone. It's called Throwout, and it features a ton of variety, from gravity-swapping levels to portal levels and all sorts of stuff. However, and a little more relevant to our discussion here today, it's also got a scoring system. Here, Martin details his approach to scoring, as well as bridging the gap from beginner to expert. You can find it, along with his other games, at his website. M-A-U-S hyphen games dot A-T Hello, I am here today with Martin. Uh, he's the developer of Throwout. You can find a game on Game Jolt. How are you doing today, Martin? Oh, thanks, I'm doing fine. How, how are you doing today? Doing pretty well. Uh, it's a nice morning out here. So I wanted to ask, have you ever considered the high-level play of a video game? You you mean some kind of hardcore game, something a player would try to beat as good as possible, competition-wise? Or? Yeah, like either a speedrun or a, a game tournament or something like that. Hmm. I never thought about something like that. No, <laughs> <laughs> it's I, I think I think um it's, those games uh, need a really good balance or ways to scale strong with the skills of the player, like Ikaruga or Starcraft, for example, but. Yeah, when I see Super Mario and would also not put it into this category um, until I watch speedruns and how people bent the original gameplay, so you never know. Yeah, people can get really creative about high-level play. Mm-hmm. Would you say that Throwout has high-level play? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, well, uh, yeah, I never considered it or never worked um, to watch it. Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha, okay. So Throwout does have a scoring system, though, and a large part of that comes from the bonus multiplier. 
How did you determine the multiplier value? That was difficult. Um, in, in breakout-like games, you often face the problem of uh, how to vary the score from, from game to game and by the skill of the player. The skill-related constant, I think, in, in those games is accuracy. Accuracy? How do you pronounce it? Uh, um, getting the ball where you want it to be. So I, I focused on that, but uh, did not implement obvious stuff like chaining, uh, where you try to hit as many blocks as possible in a single fly, because it didn't fit to the to the multi-plot uh, block hit mechanic I really liked and probably would have restricted me to strong the level design, especially of some later levels. So I added the classical extra ball <laughs> and a 50% score bonus for every additional ball on the field. And there's also a slight bonus multiplier depending on the current level number to, to compensate the increasing difficulty. Yeah, I think the way the multiplier works now is it works well. Mm -hmm. no, okay. You don't need chaining. What kind of skills would you say that the multiplier for multiple balls uh, asks of the player? Yeah, high accuracy <laughs> and a steady hand. Trying to target the bonus balls as soon as possible. <laughs> and then keeping them in play to maximize the score. It can get pretty hectic. Yeah, that's, that's sometimes problematic, especially when controlling two or more pedals at once. But... I think with the outer block barrier, you, you get a couple of tries to do that. Yeah, and in the later, more complex levels, I felt that it was way too hard, very hard, to focus on the level mechanics and control more than one ball. So reduce or completely remove those extra balls and put focus on the level itself and the bonus score from the time limit. Yeah, the game definitely has a, a wide variety of different level systems and uh, mm -hmm. like the level where some of the blocks evade you and then the Mario level where some of the blocks push apart. So um, part of doing well at the game is definitely learning how to interact with all those different block behaviors. Mm -hmm. If a level times out, the player just misses out on the multiplier altogether since the bonus is counted up at the end of the level. What kind of skills does a would you say that a player needs in order to clear a level within the time limit? Mm. Yeah, I would say again, I, a good aim. Good aiming, high accuracy. <laughs> so is that like a good aim is mostly knowing where to put the ball on the paddle? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, always targeting the extra balls first to increase, let's say, um, your damage output. <laughs> I gotcha. I would always go for the extra balls last because I was like, I didn't want to divide my attention, but I still <laughs> wanted the bonus multiplier. Mm -hmm. Throw out also gives a few, I guess you could call them pardons, to inexperienced players. Like when the time runs out, you don't lose a life, instead you just go to the next level. And when you do lose a life, you don't repeat the level, you just go on to the next level. So I wanted to ask how important it was to keep inexperienced players interested in Throwout. Quite important, very important. After I finished the first version and people started to play, uh, the game was way too hard because there was only one life um, and if you lost it, the game was over. Uh, my my basic idea was the outer block barrier acts as life re replacement, but people still had some problems, maybe because of the controls or the unfamiliar camera, so I needed to implement some kind of a helping hand, but nothing too convenient, which would remove the challenge of the game, so I added a second chance, I called it. <laughs> the player has two hidden extra lives or chances, and Without thinking long about it, I just used the same feature from the timeout where you advance to the next level, and somehow it was perfect. So if people really have a problem with a specific level and are not able to beat it, they just skip it and move on to the next, but uh, yeah, lose a chance and the bonus score, of course. Yeah, I think that works out nicely, that the extra layer of blocks gave me enough time to learn a particular level, and uh, I found... <laughs> If I was going to have a lot of trouble with a particular level, it was definitely useful just to move past it and come back to it another time. Would you say that Throwout offers a learning curve that uh, that gets such a beginning player and uh, gets them interested in high scores? I, I hope so. After implementing all basic levels, I tried to sort them according to the difficulty and modify them slightly to introduce some uh, basic features like extra balls and changing pedals level by level. 
though, I don't know, games of that genre can get very repetitive. If you always start with the same level, so maybe a level selection feature like, you know, Arcanoid 2, where you where can move left or right to different next levels would would improve that maybe. But still, I saw some players coming again after some time trying to get a better score, see the later levels maybe. So maybe it has a hidden replay value, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, personally, it is a game I'd like to get better at. It has enough variety to it that I think it stays fresh. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to say that uh, sometimes like there are different classes of mistakes in the game, mm-hmm. and some mistakes will result in a life lost, whereas some mistakes will only result in missed points. Like uh, if you lose an extra ball, you lose extra points, but you don't lose the life until you lose your final ball. And I wanted to ask how you found the balance between those two outcomes for failure, losing points and losing a life. Whew. <laughs> that was hard. Um, I, I, I had the idea to, to let the player advance, to always advance to the next level, so you can see everything, even playing very bad, but I think that would have ruined the game, removed the challenge and the pressure, the exploration and reward. Um, uh, so I think the two extra lives, extra chances are fine. Um, when losing the extra balls, it's yeah, it's common. You you, you don't lose a life or, or something like that. But yeah, of course, if you lose every ball, you have nothing to play. <laughs> right. So, yeah, something must happen. <laughs> <laughs> so part of it's convention, and part of it is just um, even if you do let the player see all of the levels, that doesn't mean they'll necessarily have a high score. And so you can let the score reflect their skill level. Mm-hmm. Okay. And finally, I wanted to ask, when it comes to the theory behind game design, which is more important to you? The intent of the designer, the experience of the player, or the essence of the game itself? Ooh, that's a hard question. Um, I don't consider myself a good designer, um, but I would say uh, the player experiences the intent of the designer. So... In, in the end, games are meant to be played, so I think it's important what the target players experience. Might be only you, a small group of people, or many players around the world. Hardcore casual players, children, old people. I think it's important what they, they feel about the game. Alright. I definitely think that comes across in your answers this morning. It's been good talking with you. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you too for inviting me. Yeah. Keep making cool games. Okay, I, tr- I will try. <laughs> <laughs> so, Shouty, give me a rating on Ball Cube from 1 to 10. Cubed. Alright, uh, that's not a rating from 1 to 10. Adrian, give me a rating of Ball Cube from 1 to 10. Bald. Alright. Uh... Yourself, give me a rating ball cube from 1 to 10. I'll give you a real answer. <laughs> Thank you. I think ball cube is probably a 9 out of 10. Like, I don't normally score games, but I guess the things that matter to me are that the game accomplishes what it sets out to accomplish and that it has a relatively unique premise. And I think ball cube uh, succeeds in both of those. And the only reason I wouldn't give it a 10 is that I don't don't think an abstract game can ever get a 10. There's no story to it? There's no, like... no context. Yeah, there's no attempt at communicating anything. It is just a time waster. All right. I guess for my real answer, I don't know. I feel like I'd have to give it a range. Like, I don't know, seven or eight. Because the thing is, like, it's hard to express what it is about this game that, um... I don't know. Like, I, I guess the fact that it is a lot more level-based, it doesn't exactly have that appeal that Tetris would, you know, where it's randomized, so each replay is, you know, always something satisfying, whereas over a while, maybe replaying up from levels 1 to 8 can get a bit tiresome, to which maybe you just want to see the later levels. It's not really accommodated for you to get through the whole game on the series. Punching in quarters all the time. So you could see it getting old. 
Yeah, you can see it getting old because, you know, you're seeing the same setups. All right. Yeah. Now you can see it getting old. <laughs> you can see yourself getting old. Literally see it. That machine is getting rusty. But yeah. And I don't know. Sometimes I think I might not be fair by looking at it like that, but uh, I just don't know how to say it. It's like I really don't see this as a game that I'll be playing that much after the podcast. Like I just, I'm, I still haven't done it, but I only want one special session to see how far can I really get through this game. You know, obviously Infinite Quarters, just to see it because I want to see it. Because normally playing this game, there's no chance in hell you're going to see it unless you're Phil. Otherwise, the rest of the game, yeah, it's pretty damn solid. All right. Shouty, any final words? Mm. Uh, no. Okay. Adrian, any final words? Balky was fun. Yeah. I was pleasantly surprised because um, Lord knows when we said we were going to do a pinball game or something along those lines, I wasn't exactly <laughs> thrilled. But um, I'm glad we did Ball Cube. No, I want to play more Ball Cube. I don't think I've gotten good enough yet. I'm not good at it either. You're not good until you die at level 50. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> I don't see that in the cards. Yeah, that's another thing. Is that if, if you were to get to those higher levels, that would take how long would that take? I yeah, honestly don't know. Probably like a half hour or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I don't think I'm ready to put Ball Cube down yet. I know I can get better scores than I'm getting right now. And it's actually a game that I'm tempted to get good scores in. Yeah. I guess my final word is I don't know why it wasn't called Cue Ball. It even has the, you know, it, it could have been billiards themed because it's just a ball bouncing around. On essentially a table. Yeah, that could give us some context. Yeah, it could have been like a, a cue ball that uh, gets a mind of its own <laughs> and yeah, takes it starts, on the world. Yeah, uh, takes its anger out on regular billiard balls. Yeah, exactly. I would, I would rather have it in like a smoky billiards room and you get to overhear the conversations of the people. <laughs> so it's kind of like a night at the inventory poker. The thing for Steam. You yeah, have the characters the talking. I don't know what it's called exactly, but it's just you play poker with characters that are in games for Steam. Oh, the one that has like Brock Sampson and then a robot from Borderlands and yeah, whatever. Well, that's, a, that's a sequel, I think. Oh, okay. That anyway. is um, the guys who did Sam and Max. Right, yeah. it's a Telltale Yeah, Telltale. Yeah. That's what it is. All right. Yeah. That was a game that I didn't understand why it existed. <laughs> people like the characters and they want to showcase conversations. What better way to do it with poker? All right, well, we'll have to send this ball cube ID over to Telltale. Thank you, everyone, yeah. for joining me. All music in this podcast came from ball cube gameplay. I'll leave you with this final thought. How often do you pay attention to gameplay above and beyond clearing the game? What does it take to get you interested in replaying a game to reach a higher gameplay skill? If you have any comments or questions, please email vgcommune at gmail.com. <laughs>